A shooting war, a warming planet, inconvenient truths. Folks, these are tough times. Welcome to Tough Times with Lou Young. I'm here with uh, George Patanovic. Hi, George. Hi there. Hi there, Lou. Okay, on the co-pilot seat, and we got uh, Kevin Thomas here as well. Hi, Kevin. How's it going? All right. Well, not too well. We've got a war in Europe. Uh, We've got uh, energy uh, right in the middle of it, Uh, climate change as a consequence and uh, a possible... Possible collateral damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got uh, the world coming apart. And listen, uh, uh, you know, if it goes the wrong way, it could make everything moot. This is the one thing that could make climate change moot, a nuclear exchange. All right, guys. Uh, how you feeling about all this, George? Well, I was, you know, it's upsetting to see, of course, you know, especially people that want democracy to have to, you know, uh, fight for it. And things we take for granted, I think, and here they are, uh, you know, their lives are totally upset having to leave their country, go to Poland. I mean, I just watch the news. It's it's tough to watch, you know, and to see what happens. Yeah. Well, we've got uh, th- this this program, um, the launching point, the 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 reason, uh, the theme of it has to do with Indian Point. Uh, shut down now for uh, almost 10 months. Uh, shut down in that is not making electricity. Uh, the uh, vast amounts of uh, radiated uh, spent fuel, 2,000 tons are still there. Uh, but uh, it's not making electricity, and uh, uh, there are concerns about that missing electricity and what we do to uh, fill it in and what that does to our environment. Uh, So uh, what do you say, George? Let's take a walk. Okay. Let's walk to the machine. All right, and uh, once again, come in here and take a look at the dials. All righty. We're looking at all this stuff. Um, We can see... Uh, oh, Chernobyl looks like it's not doing anything worse than it was before, even though the uh, Russians apparently have uh, have possession of it. Uh, we'll be talking to some folks uh, from the Ukraine a little later in the program about uh, what's going on there. And I'm looking over here, and I see uh, I see that the the oil consumption is going up along with uh, the electricity consumption, which had been going down. And we're going to have some folks explain that, uh, especially in light of uh, the lack of. Uh, Electricity from um, from Indian Point. Let's go back a year. There's an audio clip from Representative Carolyn Maloney and the oil CEOs from um, uh, from Capitol Hill, and uh, this is what they had to say. They admit it. Uh, Mr. Woods, uh, CEO of Exxon, do you agree that climate change is real? Yes. Thank you. Mr. Lawler, CEO of BP America, do you agree that climate change is caused by human activities? Yes. Mr. Wirth, CEO of Chevron, do you agree that burning fossil fuels is a significant cause of climate change? We accept the scientific consensus that the use of uh, fossil fuels contributes to climate change. You got that. Accept the scientific consensus, all right? Let's stop arguing about it. Wake up. Oh, can you take care of her? Oh, 
maybe you can spare her several moments of your consideration leading up to the final destination oh the earth is calling out i want to learn what it's all about but everything i read is global warming going green i don't know what all this means but it seems to be There she is, Miley Cyrus. I love that song. I think that we've played that song more than any other on this. It uh, it really gets to me. Uh, on the phone, Mount Joe Green. How are you? Call down from Ulster County. You there? Hi, I am. <laughs> well, you are more than just a caller. You're the uh, count- uh, Ulster County legislator, and you are the uh, environmental director of um, Clearwater, the Clearwater Sloop. That uh, speaks for us on the uh, on the river there, and uh, why don't you tell us what your feeling on uh, on the um, uh, Indian Point situation is now? I mean, it's there. As, as as Kevin and I were talking the other day, it's there. It's not making electricity anymore. Some people have said, "Hey, did we shut it down too soon? Because we could probably use the electricity." Um, I presume you're not one of those people. No, not at all. Because of the. Um the fact that it was an aging facility with a long history of very serious, increasingly serious problems. That facility needed to be closed down. It was built for 20 years. It lasted more than 40, but uh, it was increasingly dangerous. Now that the facility is closed, 
a lot of the danger um, has been removed, along with the the energy it generated. When you say but removed, no, when you say removed, Manager, it means because that the reactors are not uh, are not still running, right? That's right. But the fuel, but, the spent fuel, is still there. Exactly, almost two thousand tons of highly radioactive, uh, so-called spent fuel rods. But uh, they're actually more radioactive after they've been through uh, the fission process in the reactor than they were when they went into the reactor. Um, and those are being stored in uh, fuel pools to keep them cool and ultimately will be moved to silos uh, that are called dry cask storage. Um, so, so the the tour I took, oh gosh, a few years back with the TV crew, uh, and the pools are right there uh, over the reactor. Am I correct? Not over the reactor. The no? reactor's a, a, a separate facility, but the fuel pools are near the reactor. Got they, it. Got it. Uh, all right. Yeah. So, so, um, and and eventually those the the the, the, the decommissioning by this company that's doing that, they will eventually, uh, at, at an appropriate point, move those rods from the f- cooling pools to the dry casks, then store them with the rest of uh, the mountain of, uh, of uh, glowing, well, I don't know if it glows, the mountain of radioactive stuff. Am I correct? That's right, and they're doing it actually very rapidly um, because it, uh, that company, Holtec, does what we consider to be quick and dirty, uh, decommissioning. Fortunately, New York State has created a decommissioning oversight board uh, that is very proactively uh, engaged in the process and providing oversight to the extent that their jurisdiction allows. So, um, so that was going to be my next question. They're doing it, but are they doing it well? And listen, if there's somebody out there who wants to weigh in on this, as we listen to Amanda Joe Green, our number is 845-429-1700. Uh, you know, call in, you know, state your case, be nice, and uh, and, and we can have the have a conversation. Um, the um, the danger you're talking about uh, the being reduced, uh, it's still there somewhat and some people uh, say we miscalculated it was running we should have let it run a little while longer or or not i mean you 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 think we were out of time huh i think we were out of time in indian point um uh for better or worse and and we tried to uh prevent a 7.6 billion dollar subsidy to keep the nuclear plants in western new york operating But at the same time, the New York independent system operators who are responsible for ensuring reliability of the grid said that Indian Point was not needed. That had that determination had to be made. And in large large part because we are being more effective in energy efficiency and and the amount of power that New York was using was steadily decreasing yes but, it was it was yes but as but we now, as we've noticed in, in the big machine a moment ago it is no longer decreasing in, in uh, uh decreasing it's increasing and there are probably reasons for that uh, uh, do you do you know them yes um a lot of it has to do with what new york state calls beneficial electrification switching over from burning fossil fuel 
uh, in homes and buildings, uh, switching to electric vehicles. These are starting to increase the amount of consumption. But at the same time, renewable energy infrastructure is being put into place with storage. So we have renewable storage and efficiency as a way to replace the energy from Indian Point. But we have to gear that up really rapidly so we can, in addition to retirement, Old nukes, we have to also be able to retire dirty fossil fuel plants. So uh, the, these are is, these are bumps in the road because you know you 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 notice oh look electricity is going down use is going down so let, let, we could turn the nuke off and then um, uh, let's also use less electricity so uh, or use less fossil fuel. And as we switch things over to fossil fuel, well, then the electricity demand becomes a little higher, and uh, and we make up end up making some of that electricity with fossil fuels. So, it's a complicated formula with lots of variables, is what I like to say. And um, and at this particular point, there's no perfect solution. Uh, we've got uh, a caller on the line who, who wants to talk about this. Jackie, how you doing? Uh, yes. Hi. Where are you um, calling I'm, from? Oh, I'm calling from Valley Cottage, New York. Great, great. Uh, tell us what you, what's on your mind. Um, well, Manager Green was just talking about, um, you know, how Indian Point's been closed, and we have not seen anyone complaining about a lack of uh, supply mm-hmm. to that. Um, but, you know, we do have also these big concerns about 42-inch high-pressure vector pipeline there, and I'm just wondering if she can speak to that, because while the decommissioning is going on, that's a serious issue that up. The yeah, the pipelines. I just wonder if we right. Talk about that. Okay, Thank I appreciate you. that, Jackie. Because last week we were talking about the pipeline infrastructure. I know. And I was um, and that's uh, that's all part of it. And now, and I don't want to get too far ahead here. Now you've got this whole thing in Ukraine, and they're going to cut off the Russian gas. And people are saying, well, that's why we need these pipelines so we can export our gas to Europe. And, and that's why there's no more such thing as a bridge. With gas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it gets just for, moved right over to electricity. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, Manny Joe could speak about that. Oh, I, Jackie, I appreciate the call. Uh, I appreciate the call. Yeah, these compressor stations are, 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 are a big problem. All right, thank you, Jackie. Uh, Manny Joe, what do you say? Yeah, I do think that um, the pipelines running under Indian Point and adjacent to it do pose a danger, and we were able to get the New York State. Uh, decommissioning oversight board to bring in an independent pipeline expert named Rick Cooperwitz to the first meeting in March. Uh, March 17th is the first convening this year. They've met last year and they're meeting six times this year and and that has risen to the uh, top as as a very high priority to educate the members of the decommissioning Uh, Oversight Board, which are mostly state agencies, uh, Department of Health, Department of Environmental Conservation, Homeland Security. Everyone who has an interest or a stake or any jurisdiction will be learning from an independent pipeline expert, not just hearing um, Holtec's public relations so I, I, I think it's actually a system that is working. We have a long way to go, but I absolutely agree that we have to be real clear about the presence of high-pressured pipelines under Indian Point 
during this decommissioning process. And how close are they to those uh, dry casks where the uh, radioactive fuel is being stored? I don't know in feet, but they don't go directly under it. But an explosion uh, at that site could cause very serious harm. And they are very close to the fuel pools, which are still filled uh, with uh, 40 years accumulation, uh, or the better part of that. Um, and so it is, it is a precarious situation, and we'll know better when we have a chance to uh, all hear from Rick Cooper with uh, mid-March. Mid-March. Okay, we'll get more information. Once again, the call-in number, 845-429-1700 here at WRCRAM and WRCR.com. This is Tough Times with Lou Young. Uh, and I want to uh, ask uh, Manajo about how bad the radiation leakage was. You told me something on the phone the other day that absolutely surprised me, that uh, that you detected or someone detected radiation on the Rockland side of the uh, of the river um, uh, that they believe came from Indian Point. Tell me about that. Yeah, um, some of the ground, uh, the um, fuel pools leaked highly radioactive material into the groundwater under Indian Point and through uh, the cracks and fissures. It moved out into and continues. The groundwater under Indian Point is contaminated with radioactive isotopes above drinking water standards. Fortunately, nobody in that immediate area takes their drinking water, but it gets out into the Hudson River, and radioactive isotopes were discovered on both sides of a reverse osmosis membrane at a pilot project for the proposed... um, desalination plant at Haverstraw Bay. That means it was getting into uh, drinking water, and it's one of the reasons we were able to prevent that unnecessary uh, project um, in Haverstraw. Uh, The desal plant was killed uh, for many reasons, but one of the reasons that proposal did not go through was the fact that uh, they they were able to detect radioactivity from the groundwater under Indian Point across the river three and a half miles to the southwest uh, uh, in in the uh, pilot desal plant. Everything's interconnected, George. This is your neck of the woods. Yeah. Uh, hey, my name is George Patanovic. <clears throat> Hi, George. Uh, it was the strontium and tritium, right, that was in there and also that could not be filtered out uh, according to the way we saw those tests that came from United Water uh, of their proposed desal plant. So uh, people didn't want to have radioactive isotopes in their water. <laughs> Certainly it was not a good idea. And, but also tritium. You can't filter tritiated right. water out of water. Right. So, it, and that we're just discovering the importance of tritium, particularly as that facility is is being uh, decommissioned and things are going to be cut apart, uh, those are the the isotopes that can be released into the air, and we want to protect the workers and the community surrounding. But I do want to say that I think Indian Point has a wonderful potential future because the soil and groundwater are contaminated. 
and I don't think it'll ever be cleaned up to safe enough standards. But what a wonderful couple hundred acres for solar with storage. There you go. And actually transform uh, after the decommissioning is complete, rather than thinking of um, commercial or industrial or recreational uses, let's use the the space for what makes sense. It has all the uh, grid infrastructure. infrastructure. Yeah. Yep. And so it could accommodate a lot of solar, and it could also, uh, you know, if we had solar with storage on site. Yeah, yeah. so you're talking about, yeah, it could, that Indian Point could generate electricity again. From a safe uh, yes. and non-fossil fuel, non-nuclear Sure, yeah. sure, sure. I mean, yeah, that, that's the that's the, I mean, I saw some. I was going through the internet. I saw the uh, there was a uh, article I think from the Daily News. Some t- time to restart Indian Point. And I said that that ain't happening. Um, uh, one conversation I had is like, you know, I loved, I loved the Concorde. I loved watching it fly, but you know, y- you watch it long enough, and you're going to watch it crash. <laughs> so I think it was time to, to for them to land for good, too, you know? Yeah, man, uh, in 2017, I was reading that 25% of uh, New York City and Westchester electricity came from Indian Point. Uh, do you know how much that was, and how would that compare to a, a solar field that you're talking about at that site in terms of uh, amount of electricity that could be generated? Uh, are you familiar with that? Well, I, I'm familiar, and I don't want to debate the 25% uh, number, but certainly, uh, you know, Indian Point generated a lot of electricity, 2,000 two meg, two uh, megawatts of electricity, and, um, you know, that that will take vast amount of land, uh, will have to be covered with solar um to, you know, one megawatt, four to five acres per megawatt mm-hmm. is, is, is the rule of thumb. And it's not all going to happen at Indian Point. Understood. Understood. We shouldn't uh, be unrealistic about that. Yeah. Yeah. But what we have to do is be realistic and urgent about every municipality in New York State doing their share to achieve the state's goals of 70% renewable energy generation by 2030. That's only a few years away. And so um, Clearwater, Cuts, and, and um, New Yorkers for Clean Power are offering a training to municipalities uh, starting March 16th. And it, it's five sessions that will empower them to do their share. Where's a good place to site solar and storage within your municipal boundaries and what should be uh uh, and and um it's a fabulous we have to stop talking about it and start doing it well that brings us to our next segment amana joe well we've got uh uh, uh, coming back after the break here uh susan shapiro from nanuet who's going to talk about some of that and george holman who uh is the uh supervisor in clarkstown um Physically, New City is where they where, where his yeah. office is, but that's Clarkstown is this, you know, it's town. It's a town, yeah. but there is no downtown Clarkstown. <laughs> but uh, so uh, and and he has a, a solar field that he built on a um, landfill. 
landfill, and it's and, and they so that's part of the uh, solution. Anyway, uh, let's uh, take a break here with um, uh, Bob Dylan. Everything is broken because everything is broken, and we'll be back after this. You're listening to Tough Times with Lou Young. With local news, local traffic, and local weather, if you like local, you'll love AM1700 WRCR and WRCR.com. Weather. For today, sunny with a high near 34 degrees. Now, wind chill values will be between 10 and 20 degrees. For tonight, mostly clear with a low around 20 degrees. For Sunday, sunny with a high near 41. It'll be gusty with gusts as high as 28 miles per hour. For Sunday night, partly cloudy with a low around 17. 
Monday, we see some sunshine, sunny with a high near 30 degrees. Tuesday, partly sunny with a high near 40. And for Wednesday, mostly sunny with a high near 44 degrees. That's the weather forecast for WRCR. I'm Kevin Thomas. Up to the minute weather information is always available on the WRCR website. Day or night, when you want the weather, check our website at WRCR.com. And the current temperature is 34. Welcome back. Tough Times with Lou Young, Episode 8. Here we go. And uh, WRCR, AM, WRCR.com. And uh, we're talking about Indian Point uh, and and the Ukraine today. It's a, it's a lot going on. But Indian Point shut down now 10 months. Uh, the electricity isn't flowing, but the danger, some of it is still there. What do we do with it? And what are all the other uh, variables in the equation? Uh, Susan Shapiro is on the line right now from Nanuet. Susan, how are you? Good, good afternoon. Good, uh, how are you? You've been listening to us. And um, Manajo Green, you're still there, right? I am. Okay, great. So let's um, uh, uh, let's talk. Susan, what have you been thinking about what we've been saying so far? Well, unfortunately, I was I was not on, so I missed most of it because I couldn't get on. Oh. I just got on a few minutes ago, so I apologize. I couldn't access. But I, I know Man is super knowledgeable about um, what's been going on in terms of the waste and the continuing waste at Indian Point and the concerns we have about Holtec as a company and the lack of any kind of oversight as to what they're doing, both physically and financially and environmentally. Um, it's a serious concern, and it's true around every nuclear plant in the country, besides that Indian Point, that the waste that was created there is staying there and will need to stay there since there is no safe place to move it to or to bury it, and there's no safe way to move it. Now, so we're st- stuck with this problem, and we have to figure it out. Now, to fig- figure out um, replacing the electricity, because uh, all of us are, uh, are kind of energy hogs. We, we demand a lot from the utility, and the utility uh, struggles to uh, meet our demand. And one of the things they've done is say, say they are providing clean hydroelectric energy, and they're going to do it with the uh, Champlain Express uh, cable that runs right down the river and is going to deliver enough electricity to run Queens. And what do we say about that? Well, every form of energy has some environmental challenges that, you know, not, there is no perfect. Let me put it that way. There's, I'm sorry, my dog's barking. There's worse, <laughs> there's worse uh, uh, such as, you know, fossil fuels and nuclear are, nuclear, I would say, is number one worst, fossil fuels is second worst. The destruction of, of areas because of hydro can also be a problem. And, you know, every form has some problem. We have to choose the lesser of the evils. We have to choose the ones that are truly sustainable. The best thing we really can do is develop uh, efficiencies and conservation measures, which actually save the most. We waste so much energy that we would not need to produce as much if we actually, um, if it, we were efficient in the way that we use it and we distribute it. And it's that's something, not something we do. Something we all can do, whether we're involved in it or not. Um, Correct. Calling in right now the uh, supervisor from the town of Clarkstown here in Rockland County, who uh, has done, I think, more than his share to help on this equation to uh, fill out one of these variables. Uh, George Holman, how are you, sir? Good, Lou. How are you doing this afternoon? All right. You've been listening to what we've been talking about, or are you just uh, dropping in? 
I'm just dropping in. A real busy day today, so I um, was able to carve out a little bit of time to give a call in, so I'm sorry. I haven't been oh, no, Well, in a nutshell, in a nutshell, uh, Indian Point shut down. Um, I'm going to ask outright, did we shut it down too soon or, or was, was, was time up? Uh, are we able to make up the difference in the electricity in a way that makes sense to you? And, uh, and are, how much are you able to do in Clarkstown with the efforts you're, um, you're uh, uh, spearheading, including the aggregate power and the uh, solar generation that you're uh, putting in? Go ahead. So, so um, I, think that, um, I think that there's a number of issues that, that you're hitting on that are that are certainly problematic, and and I think we're all happy to see Indian Point um, go, given given some of the issues with Indian Point. But uh, I am very concerned that I don't think that uh, we have everything in place that we need. Um, certainly, one of the one of the answers was uh, uh, the hydro you know hydropower coming down from Canada. I know that that's been um, met with some resistance from some folks, um, you know, and it and Riverkeeper had actually been a, um, a supportive and is now against um, because there's some fear about some impacts on the river. And um, that really was going to, you know, bring um, uh, an enormous amount of power down to Queens. So I think that that's, I think that we weren't prepared. And I think it's a real concern. Um, now, what I am happy to see is that we are seeing a growth in renewables across the, um, over the last number of years. That's one of the things that I've tried to spearhead here in Clarkstown, and we're going to continue to do it. Um, we were the um, we had the first uh, large scale solar field on a closed and cap landfill in New York State. It opened up in 2014. Uh, you know, and um, we had a whole lot of hurdles to jump through. Uh, believe it or not, just uh, that were uh, self created by by the laws at the time within the state. Um, there was no remote net metering law at the time. I mean, it took us several years to be able to kind of a lot of, a lot of red tape to clear. A lot of red tape to clear, but I think I think we need to do more, and that's what we're looking to do. I mean, uh, you know, as a municipality, I think you need to kind of uh, put a focus on, you know, on this. You're working on a lot of different things, you know, but this is not something that you can take the the eye off the ball on, so to speak. Would you and say, I, would you say, George, that every municipality should uh, should be generating some electricity? Just as a matter of course, as as a matter of civic duty, as a matter of municipal responsibility, I I, I would, but but let me ca- let me caveat that. I think one of the things I think there's been a there's been a lack of vision um, at both the state and federal level as it relates to this issue. I mean, the way in which um, uh, you know renewables are, are even in New York State, uh, it's just such a uh, a way, you know, you have the federal tax credits and, and you, you have some incentives. And and so it's great for a homeowner. And consequently, you, you can see a lot of homeowners are, are you know, putting solar and, and, and uh, there's programs through the Public Service Commission with the local uh, with the local uh, right utility companies where you can get more energy efficient appliances and water saving, you know, uh, applications within your homes. But, um, you know, a lot of a lot of the stuff that's been out there. Has really been more reliant on ta- a tax credit approach, um, and, you know, even SRAX. and and you know, SRAX? Uh, what was that? An uh, SRAX. So so bas- basically, where you, where you can buy, you know, you kind of uh, uh, buying, you know, buying a buying out of carbon, if you will. Okay. Uh, and which has been done in in, in some states. Um, so so one of the, the big issue is as a municipality, as you're trying to make budgetary decisions, it's costly to do projects like this. And the money's not there. 
and the state and the federal government have not made the money available to municipalities. I, if I was in a position, of, uh, you know, a different position uh, in looking at it from the top down, I would be looking at ways in which uh, you make these uh, significant in incentives for governments because governments can more easily um, make that decision if they're committed to it uh, and try and help defray the cost to be able to put solar on, on roofs and to be able to, uh, you know, to convert, um, you know, some of the uh, more energy-efficient products. And, 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 and George, let me ask you. That's not, that's, not, that's, not, that's not happening the yeah. way in which it, need, it needs to be, and that's a real significant yeah. And, problem. George, before, I, before, I agree with that. before uh, Susan jumps in, is this a point at which you might want to announce your, uh, to, uh, uh, your, your move to become one of those higher authorities? To... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I'm, I'm very, uh, very cognizant of the fact that uh, I can control what I can control. There you go. I'm, I, just, you know, yeah. I'm just, I'm just but, 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 but I would tell you, I, I'm, I'm very, um, very concerned about that because um, it was not easy. It, it took a lot of, a lot of effort on our part, and the grant program that was available to the town of Clarkstown when we were uh, developing the solar field doesn't exist anymore. But two million dollars worth of subsidy. Uh, to create a solar field that um, you know cost over four million, four and a half million at the time. Um, and, so, and, and where did where the money yeah, come from? It, it came through NYSERDA, and it was a different type. Of, it was a different type of program that uh, uh, that uh, sunsetted, right. and and they're just are very uh, inconsequential grants for municipalities. All right, it's really all yeah. being done so, for tax yeah. credits. And again, this, uh, is that you, Susan? Yes, I'd like to say that many years ago, Manon and I actually did a study looking just at New York City and looking at the municipal buildings in New York City and saying, what if they put solar on there? Would, would that replace Indian Point? And sure enough, it more than replaced Indian Point. But the problem, as George addressed, is that the funding and the grants are not really available. CUNY also did a very comprehensive study after that that really showed that if municipal buildings throughout the state were able to put solar on their buildings and their parking lots, we really would not have any energy issues. It's a lack of funding in the right direction. We're still funding dirty nuclear, and we're still funding dirty fossil fuels. Instead of moving that, that, those subsidies mm -hmm. into renewables and giving it to municipalities to be able to make this clean, just transition to a clean energy future. Right. So I, I totally agree with George. That's the direction we need to be going in. And we have Courtney Williams on the line as well. Courtney, how are you? Hi. Um, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Peekskill, New York. All right. And do you agree with what we're talking about here, that uh, we need to get municipalities to generate electricity, uh, and we need uh, the federal governments to encourage the municipalities, not necessarily individuals, uh, as much as they do? Absolutely. I think, you know, as we're talking about the Champlain-Hudson Power Express, bringing that hydropower down from Canada, like, why are we still trying to do this and send energy hundreds of miles away from where it's generated instead of generating it locally. Um, and I encourage listeners to um, reach out to their New York State elected officials and urge them to support the Build Public Renewables Act because that act will do exactly what we're trying to get at, which is allow the New York Power Authority that already exists to, to provide power to our municipalities, it'll allow NYPA, New York Power Authority, to build those renewables in New York State so we can use them. Like, let's just generate it here where we're going to use it instead of kind of keeping Importing ourselves it. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's like this with all these environmental programs. Uh, 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 George's, uh, uh, Courtney, Susan. I mean, uh, I, I notice that sometimes you do things like with plastic or with recycled recycled food, and you feel good because you put it in a bin that says it's going to be recycled, and then some some diesel belching truck <laughs> hauls it over all over Hell's Half Acre, and uh, and you're not really accomplishing anything. You're just making yourself feel good. So yeah, why are we moving energy when we could be making it where we're using it. Uh, that makes sense to you? Anybody? It, it, yes, it, it, it does. At this point, it needs to be an all-of-the-above approach. I mean, uh, the, the hydropower in and of itself is, is, a, is a clean power. So, you know, as, as a bridge, I think that that's, that's not a bad thing. But I completely agree. I mean, we need more resiliency. We need, you know, frankly, it's strategically, we need to, you know, get ourselves off of off of dependence on, on, you know, foreign countries for energy as well. And, and renewables is a great way to do that. But it, okay. it's going to take a long period of time and a lot of money to do that. And the problem is, is I think that there's a captive audience with government. Um, you know, we did it in Clarkstown because I wanted to do it first as a councilman and now as supervisor. And that's why we, we moved to the community choice aggregation. That's why we created a 2.4 megawatt uh, solar field. That's why I bought our streetlights from Orange and Rockland and converted them to LEDs. That's why we're, we've converted all of our buildings to LEDs. And that's why we're moving forward now, hopefully with, with um, some additional direct funding and potentially some of our ARPA funding, the funding, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, the COVID funding that the municipalities have gotten so that we can hopefully take Clarkstown completely off the grid for our government operations. And that's going to be more solar on all of our buildings. And um, I'm hoping to have that done within, you know, within the next year. But that's taken a, a long period of time, and, it, and frankly, it's going to cost us a good bit of money. And it's a tough thing to prioritize, but we're trying to prioritize it. There, there are plenty of folks in government that would love to do this, but if the money's not there, if the pathway's not there, they're not going to do it. Yeah. And that's where there's been a failure uh, of, I think, vision at both the federal level and, frankly, at the state level. Uh, to be able yeah. to put the programs in place to ensure that municipalities can actually do George, it. George, thank you. For, we're going to, we're, you know, we're, you and I are going to stay in touch because I want to know more about how you did what you did. I was, uh, uh, I was um, alarmed to hear that that program, that uh, grant program, is no longer there. But there's plenty because of grant money, programs out. Yeah, go ahead. Well, the problem is the money that the, the that should be in the Renewable Energy Act is going to continue. We're still paying in our energy bills to keep the upstate nuclear plants open for $7.6 billion. Yeah. If that money is moved and given to the municipalities and into these programs that George is talking about, we would be able to move in that the proper direction. But we're, we're subsidizing. We're, yeah. we're subsidizing the wrong stuff. Yeah, that's, that's well, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's complicated. We, we were living with the, uh, with the results of unintended consequences in a very com- in a very uh, complex situation, so th- so it's that's not all. that complicated. It's just going that the PSD and Governor Hochul needs to go back and revisit this bad decision that was made, and 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 move that money into the right place and allow NYSER to, to allocate the money to really change our system in clean renewable energy future. Well, that's which a, is that, not doing that. That's something. Well, well, what do you think about that, George? I mean, should uh, I know that's the other. The other side of the aisle there, but do you do you think you should encourage the encourage a governor to do that? Well, it, I, I would encourage it, it, whatever money could be moved over. Let, let me give a case in point. There's billions and billions 
that are coming into the state from the federal government, and I'm alarmed at how, how very little of it is actually being earmarked for the transition to more renewable, a more renewable economy, um, you know, with battery storage. I mean, that's frankly, you know, would, would go a long way with government. So, yes, I, I would encourage, you know, money being, money being moved over. But there's, there's, there's a windfall of federal dollars that's, co- that's coming in from all of this COVID relief and from the, yep. the, mm-hmm. the bills that have already been passed in Congress. And the state isn't, they're, they're putting pennies out for renewables. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm disappointed in that personally because, um, you know, frankly, for a few million, you know, a couple million dollars, I could, you know, within the town of Clarkstown, we could go completely off the grid. I'm having to find the money ourselves. We're going to have to do long-term financing, which will still save us, you know, won't cost us in the long run. But um, I'm going to do it because that's the area that I've been working in. Let me let me and, let me let me stop but, you. But, but other than issue, I think we can all agree. Oh yeah, yeah. That's the point. The, the money the money's there now. Right now, from the federal government, and the state should be the state should be looking to prioritize this, and they're not, and that's really a lack of leadership. All right, we got a we got a town supervisor and a, a county legislator in this conversation, folks. Uh, you know, r- rattle some cages. <laughs> All right. Uh, if I could say so, I don't think any um, state or federal the ARPA money, the infrastructure money, should be going to anything that adds to the greenhouse gas burden and uh, mostly it should be funding projects like George has just suggested. Mm -hmm. It is critical. We are in a state of emergency and um, I'm not making it up and I wish it were otherwise, but we have to stop talking about putting the infrastructure in place and doing it as fast as we can, as wisely and safely as we can, but it, it really is urgent. Well, you know, uh, we see this all this very clearly. I'm going to have to take a break in a minute. I'm going to have to thank everybody for calling in because I think did we use up all our lines? Uh, yes, we have. Oh, how about that? I think that's a so uh, anybody who's trying to call in, uh, sorry, you got to wait a couple of minutes. It's, it's a busy signal. Um, the um, I appreciate it very much. Uh, we we are focused on this, of course. And uh, but you've got there are other considerations that we're going to be talking about, especially in the last half hour of the show after Reverend Billy and his group uh, uh, come and go. Uh, and that's the Ukraine. And people are saying, uh, oh, we we should be uh, uh, bailing Europe out with its gas problem uh, by shipping it to them. And meanwhile, you know, meanwhile, the planet is warming and people say, well, is the is the are the Russians or the or the climate change? Is that the biggest threat? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would tell you that two things could be true at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Russians invading Ukraine does not make climate change go away. I think can we all agree and to that? Chernobyl is. Yeah. And taking Chernobyl <laughs> is a big, scary uh, situation. Well, well, Chernobyl at least isn't doing anything worse than it was doing before. So let's hope that's that stays, uh, sticks. Uh, folks, thank you uh, very much. We're going to take a break here, and uh, we'll be back in a few minutes with Kevin Thomas and the Good, and um, uh, and a little bit uh, of uh, music from Elegy for Mary Ellen. This is the song from uh, Westchester County's own Heathcote Hill. Uh, listen, we'll be back in a moment. This is Tough Times with Lou Young. <laughs>
pull up a chair or a cubicle and spend some time with us. We're AM 1700 WRCR and WRCR.com. Weather. For today, sunny with a high near 34 degrees. Now, wind chill values will be between 10 and 20 degrees. For tonight, mostly clear with a low around 20 degrees. For Sunday, sunny with a high near 41. It'll be gusty with gusts as high as 28 miles per hour. For Sunday night, partly cloudy with a low around 17. Monday, we see some sunshine, sunny with a high near 30 degrees. Tuesday, partly sunny with a high near 40. And for Wednesday, mostly sunny with a high near 44 degrees. That's the weather forecast for WRCR. I'm Kevin Thomas. Up to the minute weather information is always available on the WRCR website. Day or night, when you want the weather, check our website at WRCR.com. And the current temperature is 34. Oh, and it's getting tight between the rock and the hard place. Oh, man. They're coming at us from all sides, aren't they, George? Yeah, they are. Yeah, that's right, true. We're with George Potanovic, <laughs> uh, the ever, ever calm and, uh, and zen-like Kevin Thomas. <laughs> Very calm. All right. And we got Susan Shapiro on the phone. Susan, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Fine, fine. <laughs> Everybody else has kind of gone back to what they were doing because uh, okay. we had it was an interesting, uh, interesting conversation we had earlier. In any event, Kevin's Kevin's going to tell us a story. He's going to tell us something to to, to make, make us feel better. Uh, well, let's try this. Duke Energy Company uh, Corporation, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina based, uh-huh. uh, is going to close the rest of its coal plants by twenty thirty five at least that's the plan and more than double its renewable capacity by 2030 so they they expect to spend over 130 billion in the next decade on projects and investments 80 percent of which will go to cleaner sources as it overhauls the grid to support more renewable energy and new technologies so well, that that sounds like good news although i'd say 2035 What's the rush? Uh, is yesterday not too, you know, I mean, come on. What, what do you think? Question Put I it out far enough. Yeah. And Duke is the question, what do they mean by clean energy? Because mm-hmm. Duke has, is, is a, you know, a player in the nuclear field as well as in a lot of fossil fuels besides coal. So are they talking, what are they talking about? So that's part of the question. But I think that's, it's a good direction. I wish it was sooner. Yeah, it's good direction. Um, you know, will we still be here when it, when it happens? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. So, uh, you know, uh, that's you know that's the kind of stuff that's happening. A lot of companies are are talking a good game. I mean, uh, we were talking to Bill Talon, uh, Reverend Billy, who who will be on in, at the top of the hour with uh, the, the Church of Stop Shopping, and they were over in Scotland for COP26, and all those companies showed up with plans to be uh, carbon net zero by X date, and they're going to do this and cut back and double this and. Uh, you know, the, you know, it depends on how they measure the uh, the uh, uh, the carbon p- footprint, and uh, is is you know one co- country wants to count gas, natural gas, as a transition fuel, and it just goes on and on. It goes on and on. So it's it's it doesn't seem like anybody's reading from the same uh, uh, page. Uh, we got another. Yeah, call? I- Hang on. Hello. 
Yes, hello. This is Jackie Drexler again. Oh, Jackie's back again. From Valley Cottage. Oh, oh. Susan, meet Jackie. She called before you did. I know Jackie. Yes, hi. Okay, we, know Su- we know each other. Thank you. All right. So, what's um, up? What can I do for you? Well, I just had a... Um, I just I need to bust a couple of little myths here. Um, okay. Okay. So, first of all, um, hydropower from Hydro-Quebec mm-hmm. in Canada is not clean energy. Mm-hmm. Supervisor Homan says that it is clean energy. It is not. It creates greenhouse gas emissions. Mm-hmm. According to the DEC, all greenhouse gas emissions, including from imported electricity, must be counted. Um, it does create greenhouse gas emissions. It mm-hmm. also creates something called methylmercury, which is a neurotoxin, which poisons the entire food chain for the people in Canada, the indigenous people. Mm-hmm. So there's many, many issues connected to this. And I, I do feel that... Um, you know, as Courtney uh, Williams was saying, that we need to urge, and Susan said, that we need to urge for better efficiencies and battery storage. And we need to define what is renewable energy because, yeah. honestly, Canadian hydro is a non-renewable energy. You know, Jackie, so this massive is, reservoirs and dams. Well, I mean, it, so it, it, that's it, what it, I wanted to say. It may be, you know, it may be better than, than burning mountains of coal, but uh, doesn't make it, it doesn't make it. Uh, 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 neutral. Um, and, no, it is. and also they consider n- nuclear in many places. They call that net zero, uh, carbon net zero, which is a lie. So that's the other right. issue that so really these, needs to be addressed. Uh, there uh, are these go ahead. myths about these energy forms that people are just like swallowing like Kool-Aid. And um, quite honestly, I mean, I do appreciate Supervisor Homan and the things that he's done. Um, but he, he does need to understand that that uh, Canadian hydropower is not clean, green energy. Exactly. Um, I, I think all. I think uh, everybody who embraces it uh, understands that it's all relative, uh, and that nothing is perfect. And the best thing to do is for us to cut our consumption. But um, oh, of course, energy yeah. efficiencies are very important, and everyone should be working on that. And we do need to, you know, obviously be making plans on battery storage like using the dance camera plant using mm-hmm. indian point once it's been safely reclaimed there's there's so many other things that have been brought up today that are are great points and but I, you go ahead yeah i just i just need to let people really understand that if we are going to be getting off of fossil fuels and not being reliant on foreign government for our energy needs then hydropower is something that we also don't need to be on. Right. I think like people think hydropower, also of Niagara Falls, for example, very different than flooding a river or building a dam. Exactly. Which is what it's, it's, we have to make a distinction in hydropower. We're going to think of Niagara Falls as a hydropower that I think would be considered a renewable power. It's, it's not causing greenhouse gases. But when you start talking about flooding indigenous lands and the impact that that has, uh, as you were mentioning, uh, it's a very different situation. And, uh, right. and the other thing that... that uh, Supervisor Holman said that I like that maybe not everybody's going to like is that we got to do everything uh, and I, I would say we got to do everything. Not every- that. We got to do everything not yesterday. That. Okay, <laughs> alright, alright. So, uh, you know. So, you know, I, I, I personally, um, I love this show. I've been listening to it now a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I love what Michael Sussman was on last week. Sure. And he was talking about the PSC and accountability mm-hmm. and, and that all municipalities, need, all municipalities need to get in there and dig yes. down and start being resilient and creating their own system. Make and I local. really, yeah. I believe this. I really do, and I really enjoy the show. 
Oh, I'm thank you. That we have a show on the hydropower issue, so we can really explain to people what that is. All right, you call me. Call me um, uh, after the show, and we will set it up. How about that? Okay, thank you very much. All right, very listen, much. we're coming up, coming up on the break. The top of the hour. Uh, Reverend Billy and the uh, Stop Shopping Chorus are filing into the uh, uh, pews, and the and the church, <laughs> Earth Church worshipers are are lining up, and uh, and and uh, whatever. I, I, stop it! Stop it! All right. Anyway, we'll be back in a minute, uh, uh, folks. Thank you for calling in. Uh, thank you for listening. Please stick around for Reverend Billy because it's amazing. I mean, it's I, I found it fascinating. Um, we were listening to WRCR AM, WRCR.com. This is Tough Times with Lou Young. Back in a moment. AM 1700, WRCR, Haverstraw. Weather. For today... Sunny with a high near 34 degrees. Now, wind chill values will be between 10 and 20 degrees. For tonight, mostly clear with a low around 20 degrees. For Sunday, sunny with a high near 41. It'll be gusty with gusts as high as 28 miles per hour. For Sunday night, partly cloudy with a low around 17. Monday, we see some sunshine, sunny with a high near 30 degrees. Tuesday, partly sunny with a high near 40. And for Wednesday, mostly sunny with a high near 44 degrees. That's the weather forecast for WRCR. I'm Kevin Thomas. Up-to-the-minute weather information is always available on the WRCR website. Day or night, when you want the weather, check our website at WRCR.com. And the current temperature is 35. Radio Unscripted. AM 1700 WRCR and WRCR.com. Back again, top of the hour, tough times with Lou Young on WRCR AM, WRCR.com. And uh, Reverend Billy is standing by. Reverend Billy, the Church of Stop Shopping. Uh, These are folks who are essentially uh, urging us to mitigate our behavior in order to save the planet. Because at some point, the planet will go on. planet doesn't need us, uh, but will it accommodate us? That's the whole issue. Uh, anyway, uh, we're all going to die at some point anyway, and we need to smile before that happens. And even if, it's, <laughs> even if civilization does or doesn't survive. So uh, with no further ado, I'm going to uh, bring you to Reverend Billy and the Church of Stop Shopping. Again, I'm the one who has to roll that. I, uh, you know, uh, there we go. Welcome to Earth Riot Radio. I'm Reverend Billy. What if you picked up the newspaper? The banner headline across the top. Big oil stopped by radical happiness. Hmm? That would be wonderful. Pernicious emitters of CO2, methane, and nitrous oxide are bested by the special power of goodness. Ooh. You know, we just came back from Glasgow, Scotland, COP26, and we had a view of thousands of environmental professionals doing the best they can to save the Earth. And wow. 
good haircuts and clothing, uh, data crunching, press release, lobbying, litigating professionals. And goodness would be the last thing these people would think of as an effective emotion or skill in saving anything. <laughs> but here we are. We're in a deadly moment of the sixth extinction. The boat we are sharing is sinking, right? And I see a lot of people clearly in service to each other. Let's survive together. We're sharing skills in order to live. That seems to me that's powerful. You know, why don't you and me, why don't we go over to New Jersey this weekend and tear apart a refinery with our bare hands, with a smile on our face? Let's be happy as we do that. Radical happiness. Can we make some of that together over the next 29 minutes? Eric the Reptile Man is our guest. We have Dakota Sue Elder to teach us. We have the news from the natural world with Savitri D, the Stop Shopping Choir, and the Fiery Eagles of Justice with their free earth jazz. All right, are you ready? Oh, I feel, wait a minute. What's, what, what's going on? I have this feeling. It's in my heart. It's in my whole body. Do you feel it? It's happiness. Whoa! It's radical happiness. It's coming from the earth. Here we go. has a spirit. Everything, everything was brought to you by the creator, the one creator. Some people call him God, some people call him Buddha, some people call him Allah, some people call him other names. 
We call him Tonkashila, grandfather. few winters then we go to the spirit world the spirit world is, is more real than most of us believe the spirit world is is everything over 95 percent of our body is water and in order to stay healthy, you've got to drink good water. When the European first came here, Columbus, we could drink out of any river. If the Europeans had lived the Indian way when they came, we'd still be drinking out of water because the water is sacred. The air is sacred. Our DNA is made of the same DNA as the tree. The tree breathes what we exhale. When the tree exhales, we need what the tree exhales. So we have a common destiny with the tree. We are all from the earth. And when the earth, the water, the atmosphere is corrupted, then it will create its own reaction. Mother is reacting. In the Hopi prophecy, they say the storms and floods will become greater. To me, it's not a negative thing to know that there will be great changes. It's not negative. It's evolution. When you look at it as evolution, it's time. Nothing stays the same. Hello, welcome to News from the Natural World. I'm Savitri D. A federal judge has restored Endangered Species Act protections for the gray wolf. In a decision that addressed three related challenges filed by environmental groups, U.S. District Judge Jeffrey White struck down the Fish and Wildlife Service's decision to remove the gray wolf's Endangered Species Act protections. The decision again designates the gray wolf as a threatened species in the lower 48 states, with the exception of the Northern Rockies population for which wolf protections were removed by Congress in 2011. In Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming, state governments managed the wolf populations. Environmental groups and animal lovers cheered the 26-page opinion. The gray wolf is an apex predator. Their presence and well-being has a cascading positive impact on many other species in their habitat. The koala has been added to the critically endangered species list by the Australian government. The impact of prolonged drought followed by the black summer bushfires and the cumulative impacts of disease, urbanization, and habitat loss over the past 20 years have led to the decision. The Australian government has pledged 50 million Australian dollars to support the koala and its habitat. Scientists have developed the first fully autonomous biohybrid fish from human stem cell-derived cardiac muscle cells. The artificial fish swims by recreating the muscle contractions of a pumping heart. 
bringing researchers one step closer to developing a more complex artificial muscular pump and providing a platform to study heart disease like arrhythmia. Cockatoos have shown an extraordinary ability to complete a task by combining simple tools, demonstrating that this cognitive ability is not found only in primates. Tool use is rare in animals, particularly compound tools, where two elements are fixed together, such as a spear or an axe or composite tools, where two items like a stick and a rock are used together. In humans, these types of tools have evolved into recreational activities, such as hockey, cricket, or golf, and it was this that inspired the study design. The Goffin's cockatoo, which is known for its problem-solving skills and its ability to use single tools such as sticks to open up nut and seed shells, had to manipulate a ball through a hole into a closed box, and then use a stick to push the ball to one side of the box where it triggers a trapdoor mechanism. Three of the cockatoos figured out how to use the stick to maneuver the ball into the right position to release the treat, showing a high level of tool innovation. For the first time, researchers observed chimpanzees in Gabon, West Africa, applying insects to their wounds and the wounds of others. In a study published February 7th in the journal Current Biology, scientists describe this wound-tending behavior and argue that it is evidence that chimpanzees have the capacity for pro-social behaviors that have been linked with empathy in humans. Pro-social behavior is behavior that acts in the best interests of others rather than just oneself. This wasn't the first time that non-human animals had been observed self-medicating. Researchers have reported that bears, elephants, and bees do it too. What is remarkable is that so far, insect applications have never been observed and that the chimps not only treat their own, but also the wounds of others. Lower income human populations currently face a 40% higher exposure to heat waves than people with higher incomes, according to a new study. By the end of the century, the poorest 25% of the world's population will be exposed to heat waves at a rate equivalent to the rest of the population combined. The study adds to a growing body of evidence that populations who have contributed the least to anthropogenic climate change often bear the brunt of climate change impacts. Babies and children sitting in bicycle trailers breathe in more polluted air than the adults riding the bike that pull them but trailer covers cut pollution levels in half. Air pollution is a leading cause of death in children under the age of five. Researchers recommend covering trailers for riders in urban areas. One out of three people in a large survey showed signs of exposure to a pesticide called 2,4-D. Research at George Washington University found that human exposure to this chemical has been rising as agricultural use of the chemical has increased, especially as Roundup-resistant plants continue to spread. Out of 14,395 human participants in the survey, nearly 33% had detectable levels of 2,4-D in their urine. Exposure to high levels of this chemical has been linked to cancer, reproductive problems, and other health issues. While scientists don't know what the impact of exposure to lower levels of the herbicide might be, they do know that 2,4-D is an endocrine disruptor, and this study shows children and women of childbearing age are at higher risk of exposure. Consumers who want to avoid exposure to pesticide can purchase organically grown food, which is less likely to be grown with weed killers. They can also avoid using 2,4-D or other pesticides on their lawn or garden. 
Scientists in Britain announced they had smashed a previous record for generating fusion energy, hailing it as a milestone on the path toward cheap, clean power and a cooler planet. Nuclear fusion is the same process that makes the sun hot. Proponents believe it could one day help address climate change by providing an abundant, safe, and green source of energy. A team at the joint European Taurus facility generated 59 megajoules of energy for five seconds during an experiment in December, more than doubling a 1997 record. That is about the power needed to power 35,000 homes for the same period of time, five seconds. The brain has neurons that fire specifically during certain mathematical operations. New findings indicate that some of the neurons detected are active exclusively during addition, while others are active during subtraction. They respond in the same manner whether the calculation instruction is written down as a word or a symbol. Antarctica's two native flowering plants are spreading rapidly as temperatures warm, according to the first study to show changes in fragile polar ecosystems have accelerated in the past decade. The increase in plants since 2009 has been greater than the previous 50 years combined, coinciding with rapidly rising air temperatures and a reduction in the number of fur seals, according to researchers working on Signy Island in the South Orkney Islands. Populations of Antarctic hair grass and pearl wart have been studied by scientists on the island since 1960. Research found hair grass spread five times faster between 2009 and 2018 than between 1960 and 2009. For pearl wart, the increase was almost 10 times more. The mega drought in the American Southwest has become so severe that it's now the driest two decades in the region in at least 1,200 years, scientists said this week, and climate change is largely responsible. The drought, which began in 2000, had previously been considered the worst in just 500 years, according to the researchers. But exceptional conditions in the summer of 2021, when about two-thirds of the West was in extreme drought, made the period between 2000 and 2021 the driest 22 years since 800 AD, which is as far back as the data goes. The analysis also showed that human-caused warming played a major role in making the current drought so extreme. There would have been a drought regardless of climate change, but scientists estimate its severity would have been only about 60% of what it is. And now, the sounds of extinction. The duel is a canid native to Central, Southeast, and Southeast Asia. Other English names for the species include Asian wild dog, Asiatic wild dog, Indian wild dog, whistling dog, red dog, and mountain wolf. The duel is a highly social animal, living in large clans without rigid dominance hierarchies and containing multiple breeding females. Such clans usually consist of about 12 individuals, but groups of over 40 are known. It is a diurnal pack hunter which preferentially targets medium and large size ungulates. In tropical forests, the duel competes with the tiger and the leopard. It is listed as endangered on the IUCN Red List as populations are decreasing and estimated to comprise fewer than 2,500 mature individuals. Factors contributing to this decline include habitat loss, loss of prey, competition with other species, persecution due to livestock predation, and disease transfer from domestic dogs. The duel can be found in Tibet and possibly also in North Korea and Pakistan. And here, the duel, sometimes known as the mountain wolf.
Listen to me. Make your stands like standing rock. The First Nations peoples in North Dakota are showing us the future of direct action. In the path of the Enbridge pipeline, the black snake. They're making something that traditional environmentalists don't have the words for. And it's time to talk to Eric, the Reptile Guy, this week's Earth Riot Radio interview. Eric is a wonderful teacher, and he has a uh, wildlife education company. Uh, he teaches especially, well, it's called Eric's Reptile Adventures. It's distributed throughout the northeast part of this country and around the world. His mission is to protect nature and to educate especially about snakes and toads and turtles. In fact, he has some animals in the station wagon. <laughs> I talked to him on Zoom, and we could see he took out some animals and talked to them. <laughs> Eric, Eric the Reptile Guy, the newest member of the Stop Shopping Choir, you want to listen to the entire hour-long conversation, come to revbilly.com slash podcasts. Revbilly.com. Um, but right now, we just have a, a juicy little excerpt for you. Enjoy. Amen. Well, I strongly believe that to places like Madagascar and traveling around the world and seeing the things, that people just need to go see it for themselves because when you see things in that context, it just changes you. You don't have any choice but to change or you die from PTSD. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's jarring and very super duper emotional when you go through things like that, or you see habitat being destroyed in other places, but then you see the results of the, of the, the destruction here. You know, when you, if you live in like, I'm in Huntington right now and it's hard to see, like I've lived here in Long Island for a long time, my whole life mostly. And you can't really see the results. Things still look the same. You know, it looks the same as it did when I was younger. But then if you were out in the field looking for animals and things like that, then you can see the results of those animals not being there and then understanding like what the purpose is. So it's like, you know, it's a real big job to, to educate children and, and people to understand or have them really feel what you feel because it's almost like you ever see the movie E.T.? Absolutely. It's all about feelings. It's the feelings. You got to feel the feelings. And if you're not feeling the feelings, then you can have a million protests, but it won't really, it'll do something for a little while, but it won't be a lasting shift in the energy. 
because the energy is super duper important. So for people that really want to have the energy change, for example, like you were mentioning about the pesticides, I knew about it, but like I'm an animal person and like I love trees and plants and stuff. So I'm very focused and I read all the little things. I found out about neonicotinoids at Home Depot because I was buying my friend a gardenia and I love gardenias. They smell so sweet and good. And I was buying a gardenia tree. And when I bought it, I saw the little tag. It said neonicotinoid pesticide. And I'm like, what's that? And so I went to the desk and I said, excuse me, what's a neonicotinoid pesticide? And she said, oh, I don't know. And she's like, we should look it up. She was looking it up. I'm like, wait a second. This gets into the flesh of the plant and makes the whole entire plant poisonous. And so maybe that's why the bees are dying off. And that's when I first read that, it was like all these connections. Also, real, real soon, very soon, um, in um, like all over Long Island and everywhere, there's going to be the migration of the salamanders. A lot of salamanders and frogs and stuff are migrating into these ponds to lay their eggs. The first time that I that I was exploring in the pond out in Long Island, we saw these fro- these tree frogs and the spotted salamanders all in the pond, and I was observing them for every day, every other day for like more than thirty days. It was a long time uh-huh. to watch the eggs develop, and I got to put him down because he wants to go back. Um, while I was observing the eggs developing, I saw all these mosquito larvae, and I'm like, oh, cool! They're gonna have their food when they hatch. And so there was like Daphnia and all these like little little single celled organisms and things. And then you saw the mosquito larvae starting to develop. And I was like, oh, cool. But then the next day I heard a news report saying the mosquito season is going to be horrible. They're going to start spraying for the pesticides all around. And they did. And I'm like, no, that's so wrong. And I and I I did my best. I got on on um, on a on a t- television show, but it was kind of too late. But I'm. Um, Fortunately, they didn't spray in that area, but a lot of the areas where they did spray, a lot of the animals died. But the, at the heart of it, at the heart of it, um, excuse me for a second. Okay, I'm back. Um, people didn't really understand like what the real impacts were, were to the environment, to their local environment mm-hmm. and, and other things. And so I think that, and I, I see it similarly in places like Madagascar or wherever I've traveled to that people... Well, for example, in Madagascar, people they were using um, a detergent to wash pe- to wash their clothes in the river, inside the river. And my my guide said, you know, when he was younger, there was tons of frogs there. He's like now, there's no frogs because the, uh-huh. the river saturated because uh-huh. the population increased to where the river saturated with all these detergents and phosphates and things. So, you know, but they didn't really understand it. And so now the kids that are growing up in the nature center and the kids I'm doing shows with now in these, in these programs, they starting to understand what the animals actually are doing and what it actually means, you know, so it's kind of shifting it a little bit and, you know, and people are making better choices and things. So I go into a forest. I'm about to do that. It's a warm night here in Brooklyn. Ah, the moon is, maybe the moon's down now. It's full, I think. I feel it. Gonna go back out there into the rustling leaves and and the murmurs and cries of, you know, the rock and roll insects, the silent owl. What I get in the forest uh, is this intense concentration of life. John Berger said, a forest wants to be thick. And if I go into that forest and just kind of let go of time, which is my own construction, 
that I built up with you, right? <laughs> in New York, our setup is we're always in a hurry. Well, I go in there and I feel all the death and life, all the communicating, all the declarations of all these living beings. Working hard, pleasuring hard. And I, 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 a shape starts happening around me and I am getting, I re realize after a while I'm getting uh, a direction. And that path opens before me and invites me to take a last inhale and depart and go into, back into a family, a house, a street, back into the human community and go back, back into this community that is damaging the earth, that is attacking the earth. Because we have to, politics, we have to direct action, intervene in this shooting of money towards these distant places or maybe something right next door where we're tearing off the tops of mountains to scrape the coal, where we're drilling and burning and refining and putting CO2 and nitrous oxide and methane, the greenhouse gases, into the air. The pesticides into everything, the steroids into, you know, the, the river full of our waste, you know, just toxicity. Why? Come on. We are demanding a change. Our superstorms, our fire, our life. And that path that I follow, I swear, it's, I don't know. I don't have names for a lot of this, but it, 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 it's pleasure. It's what I want to do. It's desire. Because what makes life? This is life making life. We are directed to be, accept that we are life and go and accept that we are life saving life. Life is saving us. It's a cycle. And where does life come from? It comes from love. It comes down to love. It always does. We follow this pleasure path, this, this shape. The points of pleasure direct us forward. And then we will intervene into that money. And it will be done in unnoticed ways. It will be done in ways that the military, the religion, the politics, the, 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 the corporations notice and become fearful and constricted and come after us. It'll come in many shapes, but it is love and we do our job. We complete the task. And that path is of goodwill. It's good feelings. Life wants life to live and life is made with love. Amen, hallelujah, earth hallelujah. Come on now, have a good week. Hallelujah. This is Reverend Billy for Earth Riot Radio signing off, amen. Oh, church service is over. There you go. That's uh, Earth Riot Radio. They'll be back uh, next week, uh, same time. Um, we'll, next half hour now, we've got some folks that want to talk about Ukraine 
and uh, and 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 continue also to talk about the climate issues uh, that are that are coming up. And uh, I believe we've got a a Westchester legislator uh, on the line as well uh, who will uh, uh, help us uh, maybe clean up the last uh, few. Uh, um, strands, collect the last few strands of our conversation about Indian Point because it ain't going away. All right, so we'll be back in a couple of minutes. And I want to leave you with this here, okay, because I, you know, Reverend Billy got me in the mood, right? And this is a song that um, that was written in 1755, all right, and was uh, recorded in 1997 by a group. It was a hit, and, it's, uh, and, it, and it makes me smile, and I played it. Uh, multiple times on happy occasions of my life. Uh, let's uh, clean the palate uh, before we get to talking about war in Europe with Oh Happy Day. Happy day, oh happy day, when Jesus wore, oh when he wore, when Jesus wore, he washed my sins away, oh happy day, oh happy day, oh happy Happy day, happy day, when Jesus wore, oh, when he wore, when Jesus wore, he washed my sins away, Lord, what's a happy day. Happy day. Oh, 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 happy day
The Edwin Hawkins singer, so happy day. We were going to have a break, but I said, listen, play the whole thing. That is the break. We're back. We're back. This is uh, Tough Times with Lou Young. Uh, oh, should we play the Stones? Uh, just a... Uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, okay, we're back. We're not We're not back unless the Stones say so. <laughs> All right, listen, we got serious stuff to talk about now. Um, we uh, The war in the Ukraine, and um, we have uh, Olina on the line. Uh, oh, oh, Alina, um, do me a favor. Tell me your last name so I don't uh, I don't have to correct myself or <laughs> fix it. And uh, and uh, tell me what what uh, what you're seeing. You are you are an expert in in Ukrainian uh, uh, relations, are you not? Uh, yes. Thank you for having me. My name is Alina Nikolayenko. Uh, my last name basically is uh, uh, derived from the first name Nikolai. And uh, then the Ukrainian uh, ending, NKO. You have uh, you have family, friends back there? Yes, uh, I'm a first-generation immigrant to the United States. Uh, I came here to receive uh, education. And then, uh, you know, I decided to stay. I have been working at Fordham University in the Bronx uh, for many years, since uh, 2009. I'm a professor of political science, uh, teaching courses in East European politics, uh, and doing research on social movements and civil resistance. Right. Now I'm going to bring on one of your colleagues also, uh, Professor John Davenport, who was also on the line. Uh, uh, professor? Uh, hi. Hi. Where are you calling from? Uh, well, at the moment I'm out in Pennsylvania, but uh, normally I'm either at Fordham in the Bronx or where I live in New Jersey. Right. And Alina, where are you calling Is from? Here, Alina. Yeah. Well, I currently live in Astoria in Queens. Okay, great. So, uh, 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 so folks, f- fill me in here. I mean, how how bad is this, and what are the um, the repercussions? Uh, not just uh, not just the obvious ones, but the ones that deal with uh, energy and climate and 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 uh, the uh, cascading um, uh, threads of uh, unintended consequences. I can defer well, to Alina because she's the expert. <laughs> Um, well, it's uh, just uh, uh, one of the largest uh, wars in uh, Europe, in contemporary Europe, in the 21st century. Uh, and uh, it uh, represents uh, an attempt by the Russian government, and in particular President of Russia, Vladimir Putin, to redraw the map of Europe and to change uh, the international world order by defying the rule of law, uh, and by um, using pure military might uh, to uh, pursue the uh, imperial ambitions of Russia. Now, I, I know that Ukraine and Russia are not that different culturally. In other words, there are people on both sides of the border who have relatives on both sides of the border. There are people who have friends on both sides of the border that uh, this... Um, this is almost like the United States uh, uh, teeing off on Canada. Uh, am I correct? Well, I would say more. It's it's more like the War of Independence when yeah. the United States wanted to uh, become independent from the British Crown. I see. Uh, I, I I mean, even despite the fact uh, that uh, Ukrainians and uh, Russians are both Slavs. 
um, there are some cultural differences. Ukrainians have their own language. Uh, they have their own culture. And most importantly, um, uh, they uh, believe that they have a right to choose their own destiny and build a free, democratic, uh, independent Ukraine. And just the Russian yep. government refuses to accept this fact. Right. And, and, and there, are, there are physical... Um, <laughs> Physical things at 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 at, uh, at stake here too. I mean, uh, George was looking up the vast deposits of uh, of various minerals and uh, a lot of natural gas that has not been tapped. Uh, the Russians want that as well, do they not? Yeah. Can, can I jump in and, and sure, just John, say? Yes. I I think my colleague Olena is exactly right. And before we get to the natural gas, I mean, you're right. There are all these natural resources and. The eastern area, what's called the Donbass, those two provinces, Luhansk and Donetsk, people have been hearing about, um, make up that region where there's a you know a lot of Russian-speaking Ukrainians. But look, Elena is completely correct. This is like the war of independence. Uh, I mean, the, Putin is trying to cynically use this cultural connection and say, "Oh, look, you know, Ukraine and Russia have been closely connected. We should." Basically, as an excuse to try to say that he should control Ukraine. And what he really cares about is not, oh, you know, Russian-speaking Ukrainians are being culturally oppressed. Or, polls that I've seen, even recently, but going back a decade, show that most of the more Russian-speaking, a Russian Orthodox Ukrainians in the eastern part of the country do not want to be forced at gunpoint to become Russian. Just like the Americans who had, you know, an affiliation with Britain, as Elena was saying, in the Revolutionary War. And so, really, what is Putin's true motive here? He wants to say, he's to oppose the principle of democracy, to say democratic protest movements can never succeed uh, in this part of the world, in, in, in the Russian orbit. We have some kind of a divine right to control all these other people by force. It's absolutely appalling. It's might makes right. It's as evil as it gets. Um, and Putin, in my view, is is fast on track to becoming a new Adolf Hitler. Uh, let's uh, mm. let's I, on the line here. We have Colin Smith. Uh, Colin is a uh, uh, county legislator across the river in in, in Westchester, and uh, had originally called uh, about. Uh, about um, uh, Indian Point and some of the uh, energy things, but uh, uh, Colin, I get yeah. you. I bet you have some thoughts on this as well. Hi, Lou. Can you hear me? I can hear you, sir. Yes. Okay. I do apologize if it gets a little loud. I'm in JFK Airport. We just uh, returned, returning <laughs> home from a week away. Understood. And interestingly enough, we were just in Milan, my uh, fiance and I, uh, and they were protesting this uh, action by Russia in the uh, in the downtown areas of Milan near the uh, near the Duomo Cathedral. Um, people. Uh, you know, I think to, to Mr. Davenport's uh, point, this whole idea of this, you know, sort of divine right of kings that we learned about as, a, you know, this archaic government system back when we were in grade school is still very much alive in different parts of the world. And I am certainly no uh, expert by any means on anything Ukrainian, Russian, or, or, or European related, but I can't imagine that on the one hand, when you're saying 
yes, we're reaching out to our brothers and sisters who want us to come. Uh, but on the other hand, you're doing that by way of tanks and mm-hmm. proof mm-hmm. that there's a that there's a genuine <laughs> sense of uh, camaraderie and, and and brotherhood there. It just sounds like the power grab that that Putin has over the past decade. We've seen him do it in Georgia. Uh, we saw him do it again in mm-hmm. the um, in in Crimea, mm-hmm. and now and now we're seeing it in the Ukraine. And don't so, forget, don't forget right, che- right. Chechnya as well. Mm-hmm. Chechnya as well. And Chechnya, yeah. yes, mm-hmm. and uh, Chechnya. Oh, yeah. Um, I appreciate it. Listen, Colin, I want I want you to hang on all to the bitter end here with us because we want to get sure. back get back to uh, 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 Indian Point before we uh, we finish this up and chime in any at any any time. Um, uh, Professor, you were about to say something. I, I just wanted to say uh, I appreciate the point on Chechnya because that's how Putin first rose to power and became president. And let's just note what was happening in Chechnya. Well, there were terrorist attacks, and that was a you know legitimate concern of the Russian government, but. Basically, Chechnya was a you know a part of uh, the former Soviet Union that said we're a different ethnic group, we're a different religion, we're a different language. We want to become independent, and Putin crushed them and leveled cities you know with with carpet bombing, just hundred you know thousands and thousands of civilian deaths. So it's funny because if if his true interest was really you know that a different ethnic group within Ukraine should have a right to independence, why wouldn't that have applied to Chechnya? He, he doesn't care about this principle. He, he's just using, um, you know, this as an excuse to try to expand or create a new empire. Uh, and the, the real reason for this is because Ukrainian protesters in 2013 and 2014 successfully kicked out his puppet, Viktor Yanukovych. You remember the guy connected with Paul Manafort. Uh, And, you know, there have been democratic protest movements in Russia itself, in Belarus, in Syria, other countries, in Kazakhstan, even on Russia's southeast. So this is Putin's real concern. What he's trying to do here is send a message. I will crush and destroy any group of people who try to stand up for the principles of liberty and democracy. He doesn't care about... um, you know, uh, some ethnic group in eastern Ukraine. That That's that's a mere pretext. Uh, Professor Nukaranska, um, uh, can you fill us in on what you think uh, the experience will be like for Russia if it tries to occupy what it is now conquering? Professor? Elena, thank oh, you. Elena, you still there? Oh, I think we've lost her. Have we lost her? Oh, no. I can say something. Okay. All right. All right. Please, please, what, what do you think? What do you think that uh, uh, will happen? I mean, obviously, it's easier to 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 conquer something than it is to hold it. And these uh, these folks, these right. Ukrainians, don't seem in any mood to uh, roll over. Oh, I mean, sorry, Elaine, if you're there, just cut me off. Um, but while waiting for you, I'll say, I mean, the courage of ordinary Ukrainians is astonishing. I mean. All of these people, you know, picking it's practically like the age of, um, you know, if you think back in history when um, villagers picking up pitchforks to defend themselves. I mean, you know, there there are a lot of small arms in, in Ukraine, and, uh, you know, they're spread throughout the population. People are, are fighting by whatever means they can, throwing themselves in front of tanks. Uh, I mean, they're just astonishing scenes. And, yeah, I think I think Putin has gravely underestimated 
the strength of will uh, of people in Ukraine to, you know, to fight for their independence. And if it's going to be like the French resistance, it has got to be. I mean, if you think about what Ukraine's been through at the hands of Russians over the years, uh, and even, you know, those who feel like a strong cultural connection and have relatives in Russia uh, will, will feel some of this. Uh, I mean, the, the Soviet Union, when it was first arising, caused a famine in Ukraine in the 30s that killed over 3 million people in one winter. Uh, and then, you know, the, they were occupied by the Nazis, who, who killed, uh, you know, another 3 million Ukrainians. And then the domination under the Soviet Union all, all those decades after World War II until their independence in the early 90s, uh, at which point, the Russian government made a deal and, and guaranteed they would respect Ukraine's borders forever. That gets forgotten. So because they wanted them, promises, they wanted them to give right. up the nukes. They, that's right. And so they handed over the nuclear arms that were left over from the Soviet Union, the, the Budapest Memorandum in 1994. What is and so you know this promise is broken. Russia made this this binding commitment to respect Ukraine's borders, including Crimea and everything. Uh, back then, and, and that's been broken now three different times. This is the third time. I mean, if, if the world doesn't stand up for any enforcement of, of treaties and international law at all, we will simply have uh, a, a world in which tyranny is rising and mm -hmm. becoming more dominant. Uh, we have Professor that's, Nukarenka back on the yeah. line there. Uh, uh, Elena, how yeah. are you? Uh, fine, thank you. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I just wanted to... Um, point out uh, that, you know, the cities uh, that have come under heavy airstrikes uh, by the Russian military are located in, uh, in uh, the south and eastern parts of the country. Yes. Like the city of Kharkiv, uh, just a few miles away from the Russian border, or Odessa, or Nikolaev, Nikolaev. and, uh, you know, these cities yeah. uh, have a very large uh, Russian-speaking population. Um, there are a lot of uh, also ethnic Ukrainians there speaking Russian. Uh, so, I mean, Odessa is a very multi-ethnic uh, uh, city with a large, for example, Jewish population. Uh, and, uh, uh, and 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 the, 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 and they all now spend time in uh, Soviet era bomb shelters, or you know, right. spend the night in uh, uh, subway stations, uh, trying to. Uh, protect uh, uh, families uh, and uh, you know survive under the heavy Russian bombardment. So, so uh, you you're getting these reports firsthand, no doubt. Uh, do you think it'll get tougher for the Russians as they uh, move further further from the border? Uh, of course, I think uh, uh, you know Russians uh, very naively assume that even though a lot of Ukrainians are bilingual and they speak. Uh, both Ukrainian and Russian, uh, that they would embrace uh, uh, Russian as the liberators. Um, not happening, huh? <laughs> no, it's not happening. <laughs> uh, and uh, just uh, I want also to note the timing uh, when uh, President Putin decided to do it. Uh, this year marks uh, the centennial of the establishment of the Soviet Union in yeah. 1922. Yeah. And uh, in his mind, uh, he assumed that he can enter world history by reconstituting the Soviet Union in another format. Uh, 
All right, we we've uh, we have a, a caller with a question. No, gone now. All right, sorry about that. Caller uh, must have, you must have answered the question while they were listening. So, uh, <laughs> which is good, which is good. And all that. Uh, now you talked about we're talking about the uh, the energy that surrounds this. I mean, the 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 thing that the first thing they did was they turned off the Nord Stream two plans for that that big gas line out of Russia. But uh, the Germans. Yeah, yeah, Germans did. So a lot of um, a lot of gas is still coming out of Russia. Uh, can Europe live without it? I mean, how how tough is that going to be on them? And what does that mean for us here? Are we expected to make up the difference? Uh, or I can say something on this. Yeah, sure. Uh, but uh, but I'll make sure to leave time for Elena here. We're all in different locations, so can't use body language to coordinate. <laughs> um, but. Uh, yeah, it, it is a problem. I mean, Putin has spent years kind of building up this European dependence on Russian natural gas. Uh, and uh, European leaders have, have let him do it too much, really. And now, you know, the, the, they're paying the price. Um, although it seems the new the German government, the new uh, German leadership is maybe changing its mind now and maybe rather too late. It's tried to send Stinger missiles and other weapons to Ukrainians. It's going to be hard to get them to them now. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, they, they, they will face, you know, an energy crisis if Russia were to turn off all the flows right now while winter is still going on. And I'm sure that's part of the reason why Putin didn't want to wait much, lar- much longer, you know, as it gets warmer into March. Um, but there is something the United States can do. I mean, the, the Biden administration has been trying to get, you know, other countries in the world to increase their supplies. But here's what I would suggest. We ought to remember the Berlin airlift, and this we ought to have the American government here ought to announce a new plan for, you know, a massive kind of crash effort to stand up um, liquefied natural gas from this country. We've got a lot of natural gas here. Let's start putting it in boats, shipping it to Europe. We already do some of this. I've seen CEOs of at least two major natural gas corporations in the United States say they could do this. We need to treat this as an emergency start creating that supply, and this will really scare Putin. If he realized that other countries in the world, including the U.S. and Canada, are, are going to make Europe, Russia free, uh, on a, you know, free of Russian energy dependence, that will really put the fear of God into some people in Moscow, including, you know, his cronies, and who are becoming billionaires, one might add, by okay. fleecing the Russian people dry, well, you know, the I'll, kleptocracy. I'll tell you, I'll tell you that the... One of the people you're scaring, uh, some of the people you're scaring with this talk is are the environmentalists who are worried about the pipelines and have been fighting the gas pipelines mm-hmm. for export. Sure. For uh, so so it's it, it's like um, it goes completely counter. Uh, Colin, uh, Smith, can I can I address that? Yes, yeah, sh- uh, real that, fast. Is it who's very quickly? Who's speaking? Sure. Sorry, that was me. Just a quick follow-up, if I could, on the sure. energy because sure. I understand the environmental. The environmental complaints are fine, uh, and but natural gas is only a transition thing. I mean, within. 15 years, 20 years, Europe probably will be mostly all green energy. But we have to get through this period without Vladimir Putin ruling the world in the meantime. So we may have to temporarily increase natural gas just to get through this, is what I would say. All right. Sorry, go ahead. That's another, that's another variable in the, uh, in the equation. Um, uh, uh, Colin Smith, you want to weigh in on this? Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going from international to... Uh... To, to something that's a bit more local. Yeah, yeah, because, you, because we've got these pipelines running through Westchester and Rockland. Right. Um, I mean, I think that uh, to the professor's point, and again, I apologize for the background noise, 
um, to the professor's point, you know, the world is moving towards weaning itself off of dependence on fossil fuels. Natural gas is a fossil fuel. I think that in terms of uh, our ability to, you know, sort of clean up the, the delivery and the, the use of it, we've come a long way. Um, but we're still, we're still a far way off. And, and you know, uh, I just want to make one quick uh, comment if it's okay in response to something that was said or, or you know, regarding sure. this idea earlier of you know, allowing Putin to just continue uh, to take and take and take. It's reminiscent of the, the appeasement of the 1930s where everyone was afraid and, and, and not without not without good reason mm-hmm. of, uh, of, of the world sort of evolving into a second world war and so the Germany was allowed to, you know, Little by little, piece by piece, hmm. uh, reclaim its you know the territory that it claims was his, and Take well, we know that <laughs> the outcome of that, right? Legislator, so, Col- well, right. Legislator Colin Smith, thank you so much for for calling. I really do appreciate it. And right there at the airport, you got off the plane and called us. Yes, yeah, well, my pleasure. <laughs> All right, I, I really do. I really do appreciate it. Quickly, in our last minute here, we got Courtney Williams back on the phone. Doctor Courtney Williams, cancer researcher, pipeline opponent. Uh, bet I'll bet this this annoys you, huh? I. It does, because I think that, you know, right here in Westchester, we have a massive natural gas pipeline transmission system under Indian Point Nuclear Power Plant. We we discussed that earlier. Yes, go ahead. Yep. And so here's where we bring everything full circle, which is that as we talk about the dangers of demolishing a nuclear plant and the 40 years of irradiated fuel spent there, um, you know, that we're being told... Under no circumstances can that gas pipeline be shut down because of of uh, national security concerns. There you go. Well, that's the, these are the the changing uh, the variables in the in the complicated equation. I wanted to. Go, and gonna, if we're going to do I'm, a I'm big have to... push, let's do it renewable. Let's not invest money in infrastructure that lasts for decades and decades to solve okay. an emergency Dr. situation. Okay, Dr. Courtney Williams, thank you so much. Everybody for calling in today, thank you so much. Professor John Davenport, Professor Olina McCarthy, uh George Patanovic, um, Manajo Green, George Holman, uh, Susan Shapiro, Reverend Billy, the Church of Stop Shopping Choir. We'll be back next week. This is Tough Times with Lou Young. WRCRAM and WRCR.com. Stay safe, stay warm. Let's uh, cut down on what we're using, huh?